So just vocally, how is God good to you? You can say it in this space. It's good. It's good. You can speak it out even now. to be reminded of that he has already done that was so good that so catapulted you into a deeper relationship with him speak it out even now in this space So God, as we even just worship you and kind of remember and realize, as Americans, sometimes it's hard to realize how rich we are and how much we've been given. We, we've been given so much that we have an appetite for more. It, it trumps even the idea of being blessed. So we just for a moment want to even just openly say we are sorry for stewarding all of the many, many, many gifts that other countries for generations have prayed for to receive and don't even have. We... We walk about our entire lives in the midst of those. Going from coffee shop to bookstore to fast food place to a sporting event. We live in a community of excess, so forgive us for saying we need more, God. Help us to be reminded we are such a blessed people, God. You have given us so much, God. So much. Break our hearts, God, to see beyond those lies of the facade that we are okay with things. Help us to look deeper into this, the giver, the source, to be sent to people who have too much to give them something they actually need. Help us to reframe our even prayers, God, for more and more to see the need that is under the surface all around us, God. People crying out, people crying out in excess, God wanting such a deepness, not knowing how to have it. Help us to be a people that see beyond these things and go into those places, God. And as we say every week, worship that truly forms us, sends us, or it wasn't worship. So when we pray in Jesus' name right now for those in the world, we do so understanding that we are the gospel of Jesus Christ embodied in the local church, being sent to the nations, but also to the communities right here. So we reach out in Jesus' name all over the globe right now to the global church. We pray prayers for this church all around the world. We even pray for our brothers and sisters in Smyrna. We pray for Cumberland Community, for Square Church. We pray for Vinings Church, for Vinings Lake Church. We pray for First Methodist, First Baptist, Second Baptist, and any other church I have not mentioned. That in their spaces this morning, you would be exalted, Jesus. That people would come to know you, Jesus. That you would be the center of it all, not a side agenda, but Jesus Christ. Jesus name if you have a prayer for the global church or the church in our community now for the needs in our world 
label them right now. Speak them out. Let us pray together. lastly, I want you to think of a person in your life that needs Jesus right now. And I'm not letting anyone off the hook here. Think of a human being that you touch on a weekly or daily basis. And when I asked you to pray, I want you to speak their name and what you want Jesus to do for them. No one exempt. This is the body of Christ. Okay. So get their name. And on the count of three, we're going to speak their name to our father. One, two, three. Each name lifted, Jesus. There's two or three of us for sure. They need you, Jesus. They need you to penetrate their hearts and lives. Some of them need to be protective. Some of them need to be freed. Some of them need a hard conversation. Some of them need grace like they've never seen. Some of them need to see people not labeling the fruit of a sin in their life, but the depths of why it's happening. To sit with them in care instead of judge them from a distance. Father, today in this space, we pray that your presence would be glorified. Jesus, I want you here so badly because without you, we're just doing our best efforts and that's not enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you give me that book, please? All right, we're going to jump right in. This week, um, so we've been in Lent for a few weeks now. We've been jumping into passages. They all seem to be built around food. And we saw Jesus in the beginning being tempted in the wilderness with food. It's one of those instances where Satan uses scripture wrongly, uses right scripture wrongly to try and tempt Jesus into making his ministry about himself. Then we jumped into a week after that, some appetites, uh, how we all have appetites. Remember the God of the belly, two, two weeks ago we talked about you know, he was talking about, you guys have this God of your belly. Whatever you desire, you go after. Whatever you want to fill, that becomes your God. And then last week, Bill preached a great message, and he ended up talking about Joseph. And that, too, was built around food. That was when his brothers were brought to the kingdom, and he was the second charge, and he is now over all the food. And he had the ability to kind of really destroy them, but lovingly stands in the seat of forgiveness and has the food, welcomes his family to come move onto the land so they won't have to struggle anymore. So this passage again today is also built around food, which is interesting. And so a couple things are here. So meals are important. And one of the reasons why meals are important is because <clears throat> it's one of the reminders to us of our dependence. So there's no human in here that just decides one day I'm not going to eat and exists for very long, right? Longer than water, but if you decide I'm not going to eat every end of my life, You've just shortened your life, correct? So that's very important to know. Because of this, we know that it talks to us about sources. I think because of that dynamic, because of when you eat, understanding I'm dependent on this, I think that there's also a connection of celebrations being built around this. Because we gather around together, we like this, and I think those are spaces typically where, okay, I'm being provided for right now. Like a very primal need is happening in this moment. Um, I like meals too much. She likes meals for fuel to do. I like to plan my days around meals. I like to be timing a perfect game or having a perfect setup. I have a thing. I just, it's a big deal to me 
meals are a big deal. We do them at graduations. We do them all the time. Parties, weddings. There's, me- there's too many meals at weddings. It doesn't even make sense how many meals there are at weddings. Our actual Christianity is built around a meal. This table, the table of the Lord. Jesus calls himself the bread, right? Like the sustenance of life. Not just the bread king like we learned last year, but he is the bread. He's the bread of life. And so today, when we talk about these passages we're going to get into, I've actually never heard this passage preached before, which makes me excited because you have nothing to judge it against. You can't tell me I didn't do as good. Then you're just making up stuff, and that's on you. So this is Joshua 5, 9 through 12. And before I get to that, though, um, the story of this community up to this point, it's the end of 40 years, but the 40 years wasn't where it started. This was a community that was in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years, and during that time had cried out to God more than any of us cry out to God, come and save us, come and free us. They also are a community that saw that happen dramatically and were led into the desert, and in the desert for 40 years, God provided for them what? Manna. And he became a God of provision, but also a God of wilderness, right? Actually, a lot of times it's translated chaos in scripture, the word for wilderness or desert, chaos. But now this community is at the end of that, and they're right in between this really interesting spot where they're coming out of wandering and going into possession. So it's right in between. Been wandering, been wandering, been wandering. They're the day before, really. Now we're in this land that has been promised. Our fathers have died off because they didn't obey. They don't get to see a lot of this. A lot of people don't get to see it. And now you have this community of kids that didn't even experience slavery in Egypt, so they're not even framing God as the God who has to come save us. They're framing God as the God that provides manna every day, right? And this is important to note because in this room, our experiences sometimes bleed off of us into others, and we think everybody has the same experiences, but we all don't have the same experience. There's a whole community of them that have different views. There are kids in this community that have only seen God provide manna every day in the wilderness, not in slavery. And for them, God was a trusted God. He is providing daily. He is doing it. Man is not amazing. It's given every day, but they gripe about it at some points. And then there's this community that's like, you guys don't even believe what, you, what we went through. You didn't get to see when he split the sea. You didn't get to see when he came in. And you didn't get to see all of this. So there's these people. And now there's going to be a community that steps into the promised land. It's very important to know. They all frame God a little differently. So as we read this passage, these are some of my favorite texts. Joshua 4, Joshua 1. I actually named a youth ministry after Joshua 1 called 1-9. Which is so cool. We're 1-9, right? Like, what's up? Joshua chapter 4 is the part they go through the water, and then it's like this miraculous moment. They get across it. They go back in. They, they get The elders gather stones, and then they take it across, and they set them up to remember what God had done, which is actually Gilgal means a circle of stones or stone stacking. Gilgal is the place where they did that. So before I read this, you're about to hear about a place called Gilgal. It's where they stack the stones that they got out of the river. Who remembers when they went in the river, took them out and stacked them to remember, right, to remember. So with that being said, I'm going to read you all of it and then kind of jump through it. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. 
While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month and the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna. That's okay. I like it. I like it. It's like background music. And there was no longer manna. Manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So this seems like just a, there's so much happening here that you have to be aware of that relates to us. The first thing I just want to say is God is always rolling something away. He's always going from chaos. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of the Old Testament. This is the story of the community in Acts. God is always rolling away something old and leading into something new. This place that they're being led to is the, it's the actual promised land. It's the PL, promised land, milk and honey. And so as this passage starts, Joshua understands the temptations that will be involved with what's about to happen. So some really important things are thrown right in the middle of this that you have to be aware. Can you go back one? Or is this the beginning of it? Okay, stay there. So right before this passage, one to eight is one of my favorite, most horrifying texts in scripture. And it's the day that the younger people in the community realize they have to be circumcised because they weren't. So the first eight verses are the elders hearing from God. Okay, so this is great. You're about to transition from the old into the new. But right before we do that, it would be a good idea if we circumcised anyone who has not been circumcised. This is one of those things where you get like invited to a party and you're like, all right, so tell me what's going to be at the party. We're going to have, like, we're going to feast a good, but there's going to be some, we're going to drink merrily. You know, that's what they did. We're going to probably do some dancing. We're going to have a circumcision. We're going to do, be like, is there any way we can choose, like, three of four of these things? And so one through eight is them being circumcised after sharpening whatever kind of knife they're going to use, and then they allow them to heal. So we're thinking of doing, like, a circumcision Palm Sunday. So that by Easter, everyone is healed. Ah. So this is important, though. So why this is important to note. Two things happen on the plains. And and one of the passages, one of the books I was reading about that says, Joshua decides to pause on the plains. Say, pause on the plains. So important. Because God is always rolling us away from something old into something new. And specifically, we typically, and they typically would receive something, abuse it, not possess it properly, have to be taken from it. This is their cyclical Israelic cycle. Taken from it, led into the wilderness, and then giving something again. So God is beautiful in that he doesn't just decide, I'm done with you, you've abused. He's now got this community back to a spot. I'm about to give you something to possess again. But you can't possess it wrongly. You can't possess it like the Egyptians did when they possessed you and turned you into slaves, and you can't possess it like the Canaanites do who serve other gods. So you have to go into this land differently. So he decides to camp in the plains, circumcise everyone to remind them of the covenant on which they belong to, and then he he celebrates Passover. And he celebrates Passover to center them around their history. This is so beautiful to me. 
at Gilgal, a place of So not only those two things, but he's doing it at the place they've just crossed over and stacked stones, a place of remembrance. Scripturally speaking, land is always connected to memory. It's connected to things that have happened. Smyrna has history to it. Things that we possess have history to it. These people are at the mid-spot of having to see, I'm leaving something and going into something new. So Joshua understands this. He understands this is an important moment. He understands the temptations to come, the first Passover. He understands they can't be like the Egyptians or like the Canaanites. They have to be the people God has set aside. So he does these things to remind them before they go in. They celebrate. The next day, manna stops. So if you're an Israelite, this had to be confusing because they've just framed 40 years of how God is working and they are certain this is how he works. And then all of a sudden, this is not how he works. So everything that they knew how God would provide stops at that point. And there's people who would believe. See, and this is where I think for me to you and for me to me, this is the most important point. We pray for places like our promised lands. And for us, they can look very different. They can look like a job or a wife or a husband or a financial settlement or a thing or a place of peace or coming out of depression into something. We pray for these places that are promised land. And we feel like in that transitional season where we can't land and why can't I just, we feel like we're in the desert. And it's almost like we pray so much that God would just drop us off at this place. And there's a way to read this text where God stops providing. He stopped providing manna. Because this was the job, if you were in this community, this was how you ate. You woke up, you looked around, you did this, you put it on your table. Nobody's fighting. Nobody wants that one over that one, right? This was the season where they just, this is how God provided for them. We're going to go outside this morning and pick up stuff and put it on our tables. We're going to eat it. That stops. There's a way in which you depend on God like that, which it's definitely God, and there's no question, right? These people are not like, is this God? It has to be. It's falling from the sky, it's, right? Like if, if stuff starts falling, and they understand. So now they're transitioning, and it would feel like for us, it would almost be a temptation to be like, so God has stopped providing any brought us here. It's almost like he was driving around for a little bit with us. He drops us off, and he's like, have fun. I'll be back as soon as you mess this up. That's not what's happening. And this is where the trick is, okay? This is where, for me, this is where this passage to me makes us have to examine ourselves. Because they're being trained to seek God and experience Him differently. God is still the God that's about to provide in the land, God is still the God that helps it to grow. There's a way in which they can enter which they think they don't need God anymore. God did this in the wilderness. He provided for us. He gave us what we needed, right? We had manna each day. Manna means what is this? They don't even know what it means, and they're just excited God's given it to them. Now they've been introduced to a new land, the land that they've been praying for for hundreds of years, and God brings them in. Their spirits are high. They eat off the land. But the pitfall is they might think that they don't need God anymore. But God is just providing differently. It's calling. It goes from the immature steps of Christianity when everything is given to you, when everything is easy, into the space where they're 
being asked to go and produce on the land and toil the land. They're given a responsibility in the land. They're not just dropped off, where's my manna? They're actually given a calling. So I want to read you Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22. And this is kind of the, the story of Israel, is the land is always a gift and Israel is always messing it up. Israel is always deciding to put a king over it, trying to possess it, keep people out. But even originally, God had plans for land that would be a gift to anyone. And here's some of the things that he thought about land that was a gift. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or to take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap the harvest in your field and forget a sheath in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, for the fatherless, and for the widow. That the Lord would be your God. The Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees like we do, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow, not like Egypt. So they're being given something and being reminded of what it means to be given something. They've failed at this before and had to return into wildernesses to be cleansed of it so that they can return again to what God would give them. You guys understand what's happening in this passage? Do you get what's happening in this passage? Walter Brueggemann talks about how the land is a gift and has a history and how Israel goes in and out of blessing and cursing because of their decisions. They're continually given something good and continually grumbling about it and continually trying to remove God from it and make it their own. But if God is not the center of what you've been given, it's not if you're a bad person or not. You will abuse it, you will make it your own, and you will remove God from it. And then he will take it from you. This is the story of Israel. All th- this is the story of us. God has given us so much. So here's my question to you. How do you know if God is the provider of it? We've been talking on a Sunday night class about sources, right? Like we think food's the source. Food just, food's not the source. There's light, ground, and seed. And there's a way to say the ground is the source. We don't need God anymore. The ground is the source. We, we're organic, right? Like we don't, we're, we're healthy. We don't. What's your source? What, is, what are you so dependent upon that you don't need God anymore? And it doesn't have to be food. What appetites do you have that are so strong for you that you don't need God or see how they point back to him? Those are the spaces that people get to when God decides to take them out of it. So every good gift that we as Americans have been given, because we have many, have the potential to do what the Canaanites could have done for the Israelites. Every single good gift, your kids, your money, and even those of us who don't have much, we have much more than most. And even those of us that are poor, we have things in place to help the poor. There are entire nations that are poor with no help. So what have you been blessed with? What land has God already brought you in? that you began to grumble about. And here's what I love Joshua's moves are. Before he goes into the land, and this is what we miss. We get to the edge of the land and we're like, I see the dudes we're supposed to go kill because we're supposed to go kill them. We're gonna take over this land, God's been telling us. We're jumping in, we're gonna do it. He decides to pause, pause in the plains. 
before you get into what God is blessing you with, can you recenter everything to be reminded whose it is, whose you are, and why you have it? Do you understand this? We are Israel. We are longing for more, but we're not even in the desert. We're in the land, longing for more of a land. God wants to be the source of all of it. And this invitation, right, this pause in the plains, and this should connect with you. This should connect in something in you of the yearning that you're already, you're yearning for something. Each of us has something we're pressing towards that would be the land. God is asking us to pause in the plains, circumcise our hearts, be committed and reminded of the covenant of Jesus Christ, that he has to be the center of it, or we will abuse it, and then go in and possess the land, right? Does that make sense? I mean, these people went in still possibly bleeding from the covenant rights that they did right before. So their, their reminder was, I mean, that's a pretty strong reminder. Like, I, don't, I would remember, like we would all be hurting walking into whatever gift God was giving us. We don't have to do that. The circumcision for us is the circumcision of our hearts. It's being committed to God once again in covenant to say, all of this will continue to be about you. I cannot make this about me. I cannot clear all my land for me only. And I love the passage in Deuteronomy because who are we if we are not people who build fences around what we own, right? Who are we if we're not people who want more when we already have the most? That's the most common thing we have in American culture is that we don't want to share anything. All of us have fences. All of us have full pantries, mostly. All of us have bank accounts, not connected to anyone else. All of us don't really know all the needs over there. There are needs represented just on this side of the body that if we knew, we would weep. Like if we could, there are needs over here. We're so separated in everything we do, right? Like getting people to gather more than once a week in American Christianity, you, it's like you just dragged them into prison. Like people used to gather like eight days a week and they were like pumped about it. That's not our culture anymore, right? We don't want to share what we have, but we're all too busy. It doesn't even make sense. When the very gift that we need the most is this community going into these places together, going at a different speed and a different pace, remembering whose we are, what we have is not ours, it's a gift. Land in Scripture was always a gift so that no one, no king, could stand on it and say, this is mine. When that would happen, what would happen to the king? Anybody, just use a word. Like, cut down, killed, destroyed, overtaken. It didn't work. When the community is dependent on Jesus as the source, when your family is dependent on Jesus as the source, you can sustain the possessions he's given you because they aren't even yours. And this taps into calling. This taps into your bodies. These are gifts. You didn't do this. You're not good enough to make a body. Well, I mean, like half of you are. But even then, even then, that's still God doing that, right? You didn't make your body. All of it, it's original source, right? Like a baby's original source is not sex. A baby's original source is God the creator. You understand that? Like our kids aren't even our kids. They're his kids. But there's a way to take what we have and make it our own, and he's asking us to Return to the plains and pause. Do you need a new gift? Do you need a new land? 
Are you excited about what God's already given you? Are you celebrating what he already gave you? That's for me. God often gives us new opportunities for service and faithfulness. And I'm so thankful for this part of God that all of us are the Israelites, walking in and out of selfishness, destroying people, deciding this is not for you and it's for me and I can kill you and then being like, well, no, we're gonna have to cleanse you now. All of us are that though. But God never throws in the towel on any of us. He's always offering us a new way to be faithful and to serve and to steward those gifts. And the best thing about what happens with this community is if the land is done this way, the people of God are those who provide the manna for the aliens, right? In the desert, the sojourner, the foreigner, is the people of God receiving manna. In the new land, they're now the part of the body who gives the manna to those who are passing by. It's a way to maturity. Are you ready for your calling, okay? Because some of us feel like we got to go back to the time when there was manna because we were just hanging out. God did everything, and we just did this all week, and we were at YWAM for seven years in Hawaii, and we climbed up. And, and YWAM's beautiful. Jasmine, don't get upset at me. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's not the world and the real life. We all want to go back to that first Bible study or that time like we fell in love with like um, um, uh, jars of clay or, or, or uh, the Imperials or... Or I don't know. That those moments, like those moments in the beginning of our walks where it was like manna, where I didn't have to do much because God was doing all of it, because he was trying to train us to be dependent on him so that he could take us to a place and say, I've trained you who I am now. Now I'm giving you possession of something. You have to do it differently. And that's called calling. And that's the place you work the land. That's the place where you are involved in doing something now. So you don't want to go back to the place of just manna because you're just wandering, doing nothing. It's called maturity. So calling is about stepping out of needing manna every day and starting to work the land and co-labor with God so that the people around you can start to feast. Do you understand this? Stop trying to go back to Manaville. We all have that space. You are not called to go back there. It was beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. He did everything. He wiped our little bottoms every day. He's called us to grow in Christ, to understand what we believe and to take it, right? And I think these manna communities exist. You create our little bubbles. Nobody else is getting in. This is manifest. There's actually conferences called manifest. Best. When Jesus is calling us to learn how to eat the produce of the land, we are sent into this world, not just to feast on manna, right? And we're not inviting people from that land back to manna land. That'd be so dumb to go in there and be like, guys, you should all come back to this wandering place where, no, this is the new place. Move from that into this. Move from that into this. It's Christian maturity. This is the place you want to go, where it's not all given to you, and you have to depend differently. And there's a way you can say, well, this is just the land. I didn't do any of this. And God's saying, no, I'm co-laboring with you. I've invited you into this now. That's calling. And your calling's not your own. It never will be. Your gift is not your own. It never will be. God gave you a gift, yes. And you are a blessed individual. You're not just a chair stacker. You're beautiful. All of it. But the gift is meant from you. Your gift is from you. Does that make sense? It doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to the body. This is such a, a radical way to reframe Christianity in the Western culture. 
where we think all of it revolves around what we get. Where we're just, he's like our father driving us around in a car in the desert until we get what we want. And then he drops us off and he's like, y'all go have fun now. Skate till your hearts fall out. Enjoy your time. I'll be back at home waiting on you to get done with that blessing. No, he's like, I'm getting out of the car with you. We're going to skate together. And in this land, I'm going to teach you how to do backflip skating. It's not even a thing or twirls or whatever. He's teaching us that he's doing something differently and inviting us into it. If we could get just that part, the city of Smyrna would look different. Right? And this is my tension with some of the ways people have done revival in the past. And some people have done it really right. Some people have depended solely on Jesus for it. It's been born out of repentance. It's been born out of self-realization that we can't do it without him. But the people who have decided this is where God's going to do this, we're going to take people back to manna, that's not God. Right? God is new and creative, leading us into new things, asking us to be dependent on him. If you're not dependent on God right now, you are dependent on something. And I'm not trying to freak you out, but I want you to be able to present that to the Father because it will destroy you if you don't return. Pause in the plane. This is why this is so important here. People say sometimes, why do y'all do communion so much? Like, that's the thing we should do the most. It's the thing that reminds us most that Jesus is the center of everything and without him we're doing nothing. It's the thing that means the most. He is the meaning. And so, if you guys will stand with me. Here's the beautiful excitement about this. And, and worship team can go ahead and come up. God is inviting you into something new. He's inviting you into something new. It won't be just for you, but he's inviting you into something new. And so everyone with your hands over your hearts, maybe you close your eyes. Father, I just want to continually, I just want our staff and especially Sarah and I as pastors to present our hearts to you sacrificially and say sorry for the ways in which we, yeah, for the ways in which we prostitute the callings, for the ways in which we want to be a little cooler, or be a little more relevant, or have a niche so that we can really capitalize on it and build momentum, for the ways in which we don't see the foreigner and the slave and the orphan and the sex trafficking and the homeless and those in pain so that we can see the things that we possess or can possess. I just ask that you would break our hearts, Father, to see in which ways you're asking us to open up the borders of our own hearts for you to, to invade so that you can be king again of our hearts. And I do prophesy in part to the future where River City Church and the churches in Smyrna see the people in this city as the passages in Deuteronomy see them, as those to be loved and served and sought after and given the gift of grace before they believe what we believe, that they would know that they belong. For those who are broken and depressed and hurting to find community and shoulders to cry on and people to hug. For those who are fatherless and parentless and orphans or spiritual orphans to feel what it feels like to be adopted. 
to feel what it feels like to be a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Not just because we verbally said it, but because it feels like that happened in their heart and mind. And God, mostly break our hearts for the people we look at every day. The ones at our work and our families, the ones on our sports teams, the ones across the street that don't know you at all. Help us to see how they are our mission field, but we don't have to be ridiculous tyrants with the gospel. Help us to see how we love them the way that you love people. Help us to see how we can bring them a meal or ask how we can help with their kids or just say, how can I pray for you? Help us to see the people we touch every day as the people that are touching the land that you have already given us. And help us to not box ourselves into our garages and close our garage doors and lock our fences and not go outside and help us to permeate our neighborhoods with the relationships that you've given us through you In our community, help us to be proud to be Christians, not because we overtake with power, but because we'll lay down our lives for our neighbors. Help us to stand in the place of people who are being abused, willingly sacrificing identity, sacrificing reputation, as you did. Help us to be people who will go all the way to death just so that people will understand what you meant and what you didn't mean. Forgive us, God, but don't just let us feel sorrowful and self-pityful. Help us to move into that land excited, feasting, feasting on the things you have for us, excited about what you've called us to develop. He's called many of you to develop things, and I'm speaking at somebody right now. He's called you to be a developer. Stop feasting on manna. Stop looking for it. He's called you into things that you will have to look at differently because he's not asking you to be a child anymore. He's asking you to grow. He's leading you into places where you will have to develop with him. You will give more than you've given before. You will be selfless more than you've been selfless before, but you will be so dependent on him. Jesus, let us be that community, God. Break our hearts for what breaks yours in this room. And just before we do this, who in here needs the community of God to surround you and lift you up right now? This is not going to be an altar call, but raise your hand if that's you. If you need the community of God to surround you right now, let us be that for you. Can we have some people just surround my friend back here, right next to you, Shante? Anyone else, just let us surround you. Thank you, Jesus. We just, we present ourselves to you and we just ask that you would just, the needs we even feel like we need to protect right now, right? Like that's, that's part of the culture we're in. We can't, we can't really share those things. Those are too much. Like you can't show that kind of thing. God, you're looking into that kind of thing. Those are the kind of things you heal and love well. Those are the kind of things that lead to calling. Those are the kind of thing that leads to healing, to friendships, to deeper conversations with you, God. So all of our hearts cries that we aren't even able to present right now, we present to you even, God. Let this be first first fruits. Let our friend in the back be first fruits of the kind of humble community that's willing to say, I need you, Jesus, and I need you, community. And bring us more people that need you, God. Not just people who are churched and no, no church and know how to grade what's going on, but people who need God and do not know you. 
Thank you, Jesus. You guys would just continue to create a space in here. Prayer teams, can you come up? If anybody would like prayer, this is the space to do that. In just a few minutes, we'll close out everything. Love you guys very much. Thank you for being present today. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.